On the Consequence of Sound by Timothy DeMacley. And then there's the legend of the Bakunawa. First of all, the sky wills. The Tagalog songs tell a majestic beast as black as night with scales that shimmered in the dark like stars, so big it could swallow the very moon itself. Most Tagalogs believe that when Bathalak created the world, he made seven moons of the purest Bathalani to hold up the sky. So captivated was the Bakunawa. It is said that they rose up and consumed all of them but one. Some legends, however, take this instead to be true, that there was always but one moon, that the Bakunawa, as a creature of the sky, was a wise messenger sent by the Bathala himself and that it brought down from the heavens a piece of solidarity, moon, which was uh, known today as the floating island of Mount Tall. The Balong is a curious creature, especially for a little girl who knew nothing about life outside the walls. I thought it was just a kite dancing in the wind, floating longly on the morning breeze. I, I think how that is must have been just a small juvenile, perhaps no more than 300 varus in length, but it was far bigger than any kite or bird I had ever seen before. The blue-gray skin on its catfish-like body glistened in the morning sun as it glided calmly about, its fins catching on the wind as it swam. The lone calf had probably lost its way from the herd, and somehow wandered into the skies above the city. The people below didn't seem to care. Stray whales were not completely uncommon, Papa said, and they never bothered the city or its inhabitants. It swooped low overhead, almost touching our rooftops. Its eyes shone like polished black marble, set against a gapping toothless mouth that trailed long gossamer whiskers and in its wake. It floated effortlessly above me, just out of reach. Then, far from off beyond the Marcuna Mountains, came a low, drowning sound of booming thunder that rolled across the sky. Hroom! That was an adult call, Papa said. Its herd was looking for it. The pup opened its mouth wide and blowed out. Kroom! The note echoed through the air, vibrations sending shimmering ripples across the rows of blue-white bathalene crystals along the creature's flanks. Each wave of sound lifted it higher into the air. The young sky whale twisted upwards in a gentle spiral. Kroom! Kroom! It answered back. It shifted its fins, leveled out its flight, and heeled home. What was that? I asked. A choice, Papa said. Instrumus, the old Manila, the original Manila, the noble and ever loyal city. To the early missionaries, she was a new Rome, but to the early consecrators, she was a new Solomon's temple, filled with life and love, but most of all with sound and music. To live in Trumus was to live surrounded by music. I remember fondly that cold summer morning under a clear blue sky many years ago when I was just a little child back the old waltz city. My father holding my hand 
took me to our balcony to greet the new day. I was too small to look over the ledge, too scared to look down, so I just closed my eyes and listened to the dawn hymns of the monks singing in their chapels high up in the rashes, the quacking of horses' hooves on the cold stone street far below, the throaty cries of a sangli. Street vendors echoing from the alleys, the rhythmic thumping of motors and pistols as the day's rice was being prepared. All around us, in Tromis, was alive with the sounds of ritual and habit, a strong, steady heartbeat that had remained unchanged for centuries. It was the sound of home, of life within the walls. Suddenly, Papa shook my shoulder. Look there, Arya. My curiosity got the better of me. I opened my eyes to find him, pointing into the distance across the bay. The Nostra Senaro del Cielo was the sight to behold as it came into port. The royal gallons masts, each thick around the tortoise of the seven men, seemed to defy the very sky itself. Her, ma- her massive wooden hull, made from the most ancient and darkest narrow wood, and inlaid with gold and mother of pearl, cast a long shadow over the houses and churches beneath. It, the whole city, it seemed, fell into silence away at the sight of the great ship flying from the sea. A squadron of smaller silver-shaped escort ships flew in tight formation ahead of it, in their line sails billowing at full mast. White as clouds, each escort glinted with its own complement of brass lentaca, Kansas, extended in ceremonial salute. The navigators of the entire Ritni sight unseen played at the steady tempo as they guided their ship on course. I will always remember the music of their veils descending from the air, a casket of notes that swelled and receded the wave after a grand wave sonorous rapture, announcing the arrival of the royal galleon. It was then that I knew I would become a navigator. One then, one day, I shyly asked my father if I could learn to fly. He was seated as usual at the head of the dining table, reading the day's issue of La Vigenda. Mother had prepared him his usual cup of discotta with a side buttered pan de sal. I casually took my place beside him and reached over for the pile of hot, leaf-wrapped salmon at the center of the serving tray. I paused for a moment, wondering if it was a good time to disturb him. Papa, I want to be a royal navigator just like you, I said in my tiny voice. Papa burst into a heartly laugh. And what made you think that, Hija? A navigator's life is hard work, he said, crossing his arms. He spoke with authority on the matter as a first order institute of the Cafrodia de la Hormones Alodes, the confessionary of the winged brotherhood, his emblem of office, a winged fist proudly displayed on a pen that he always wore on his collar. Es que si gusto copan matalang lopiad, I strammed, hiding my face behind my hands. He licked my extremely in the eye. And what would you do then if you learned to fly, eh? Gasta kopang homli nang butanding, I giggled. Papa shook his head. 
There is much more than being a navigator than catching sky wheels, my child. He pointed out the window across the cityscape to the sky lanes, filled with all manner of pedestrian craft. They flew in strict formation above the city, guided by their conducts. A flock of carefree pigeons swooped and dashed about around them. Everything he, he said has a price. One day you will learn that what that means. I giggled at the sight of the birds flitting about. My father sighed and patted me on the head. Pero tingam natin, he said. We shall see. Long ago before Intramus existed, the inhabitants of the main land, land discovered a peculiar properties of gravity and ore. How it responded to sound, how vibration of certain frequencies enabled it to levitate and move about in the air. It was then, as I knew that thought, to be scared linked to the Almighty. Hence, it was called Bethany, God's Lobstone. On the eve of the seventh birthday, my father presented me with a small carved wooden box, no bigger than my two cupped hands. He undid a small brass fastener and produced what seemed to be a simple silver carved bamboo and a blue-gray crystal mounted on a silver chain. These are the most basic tools of levitation. Anyone who wishes to be a navigator must first learn how to proficient in their use. Papa said, the cubbing felt light in my hand, almost fragile. My father showed me how to place it to my mouth, to tap it on its lamella to produce single drone note. The hard part, he said, is feeling the stone. No two are exactly alike, and you must learn how to shape your notes properly to make it resonate. Go ahead, he said. Try it. I placed the cubbing in my lips as he had shown me and flicked it against my mouth. Twing, 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 twing. The Bethany pendant sat quietly in case, unmoving. Do not be afraid. Now arch your lips slightly. Yes, and curve your tongue down. Yes, right, like, like that. Tum, 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 tum. I thought I saw the oar tremble over it slightly. Expand your mouth more. Lower your tone. Boom, 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 boom. The stone began to shudder. Good, now feel the vibration build up inside you. Ride it, lend it to your strength. Boom, 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 boom. Yes, excellent. Dame mas. Boom, 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 boom. The stone danced as the edge of an invisible wave on an unseen shore. Watch its movement closely. Find its resonating point. What happened next was that the most exciting experience of my life. The pendant raised itself magically up into the air, levitating as it if is on a chain. Muy bien, you've done it, Hija. Distracted, I lost control over the stone. It fell with a loud clatter into the floor. That was good, my father said, as he bent over to pick up the pendant. But you will need a lot more practice. 
The kubing or jaw harp is an ancient musical instrument used in times of love and war, to woo, to sight, to court and spar. It is simple yet elegant instrument whose enormous qualities apti lend themselves into control of gravidium. Not surprising, it is the earliest known instrument that the ancient used for flight. Similar instruments have been documented in other parts of Asia, suggesting that the invention may be predate the discovery of widespread use of bathyny and levitation. Despite the eventual development of the sturdier and more accurate stroviol and other instruments specifically for the purpose of levitation, such is the simplicity and straightforward nature of the cubing that popular instrument in the instruments has not waned in the investing century. When I was old enough, my father gave me his herulium, amati viol, an immaculate instrument with luster's dark brown varnish on fully aged wood. Its voice was like gold and it's and it played like mercury with reach dip registers that smoothly gave way to crystal treble tones. It was perfect, and so began my initial instruction in the finer points of levitation. It was taught how to strap the instrument to my shoulder, to accustom myself to feel of it under my chin. Then came the finer intimate of the fingerboard and the ridges of bow control. Days turned to turned into weeks, into months. Suffix followed scales, followed apergies, and all over again. I learned to play etids and carpses, practicing every day for hours on end with a set of bathany geodes. Papa would let me levitate the stones in formation again and again. My fingers ached all the time from the relentless drills. Mas rapido, he said. You're going too slow. One time my fingers hurt so much that I cried. How can you expect to fly if you cannot even manage your own fingers? Papa scolded me. While he bent down and took my tiny hands and and rubbed my palms. He wiped a tear from my cheek. Start over, he ordered, and left me alone to practice. During the latter half of the 18th century, there culminated the long struggle for colonial empire between European states, which we have been following in the zealous movement for defense and support of the Spanish crown that ensued. There rose to power to Cafradia de los Hermanos Alados, which bore as its motto the personal vow of its navigators. Tetustus Musica Alice Volas Propria. I am yours, O music. You fly on your own wings. When I was deemed ready, I was taught to levitate a cargo skiff. It was a very humble make with a low and somewhat flattened hull, meant as a light cargo pallet for shipping bulk items from one level of the city to another. A series of copper sound tubes extended out from the pilot's seat. 
to the sides, where rows of grave, uh, gravidium pallets were bound tightly to the wooden frame with strong hemp rope. As I watched, Papa placed his own vial under his chin and turned to face the skiff's sound cone. Watch closely, he said, and produced to play a legato tempo, slower than usual, so I could keep up. He ple played a standard a sensation of aprigo, a series of harmonic notes meant to levitate a ship in a smooth, slopping upward trajectory. The skiff system of tubes carried the music to the crystals, which trembled and glowed at the sound. The skiff rose up and away, just as intended. When he had reached roof height, he reserved the succession of notes, bringing the pallet gently back down. Now you try it. I took my place at the front of the skiff and strapped my feet into the pilot's harnesses. Papa stood just behind me on the cargo pallet, holding onto the side rails, closely watching my every move. I made sure that my vial was strapped in and firmly wedged under my chin. I pressed my fingers tentatively onto the fingerboard, trying my best to produce steady lift-off scale. You're doing well, Arya. Just remember that I taught you. Steady notes, steady notes, Papa whispered into my ear. It is always scary feeling when you draw your bow across the strings and see yourself rising up into the air for the first time. It is even scarier when you realize that the only thing keeping you from falling is the sound of your instrument. My hands started to shake. The craft listed suddenly to one side, almost throwing us off balance. I fought the urge to look back to see Papa, if he was all right. Careful, be confident in your skills. Do not hesitate, he commanded. I took a deep breath and played on, as calmly as I could, one note at a time. The craft righted itself and floated steady higher. Through it all, I kept my gaze. I have always been afraid of heights. No, no, you have to look down. Fight your fear. You need to know your craft's altitude so you can make adjustments. He was right, of course, but I felt dizzy looking down at the floor. Don't worry, that's right, that's good. Now move forward. I adjusted my stance and blowing as I had been taught. I took a deep breath and steadied my hands. Thankfully, the skiff obeyed my notes. At last, my father placed his hand gently on my shoulder, signaling me to descend. The skiff touched the ground with a soft thud. Papa helped me out of the harness. To fly, he said, you must learn to surrender yourself to the music. He touched a finger to my forehead. Trust the music. As long as you hear in your head, you'll be fine. It should come out of surprise that despite their colonial trappings, the numerous lay aviation movements of which the Cofradia was the most notable and widespread were firmly rooted into the native spiritually of the peasants to whom the owls in spring but landing were but commonplace miracles since before Hispanic times fundamental 
to this spirituality was the concept of sacrifice, a virtue that friars themselves fostered and pro propagated to assemble emulation of Christ. I was 16 when I finally earned my wings. There is nothing more I can teach you, Papa said. All that is left is for you to undergo your benang, the rite of passage thou all must undertake before initiation into the Kofradia. But you need to be ready. There is a reason, you see, why so few are accepted into our ranks. Understand that if I guide you to this path, you may not like what you discover, and there is nothing, no turning back for both of us. Are you prepared for that? I did not hesitate, nodded my assent. Very well then, tomorrow you will travel to Mount Tall. Little is known about the Philippine sky whales, for, or Putanding as they are called in the common tongue. Other than that, they are unique among the fauna of the world as they are the only animal yet discovered to have successfully made the developmental leap from an aquatic to an almost purely airborne life cycle. We also know that the creatures owe this singular existence to their heavy consumption of gravidium, which they scrape off the mountainside as a rodent would nibble on a tree bark. It is no wonder then that the Putang's habitat is severely limited almost exclusively to the island of Luzon where the only known stores naturally occurring gravidium were a closely guarded secret of the Spanish government. I had never been so far away from home before. It was a pleasure watching the green countryside pass below us as the coach made its way through the rural herbals of caveat. The conductor was very pleasant, a thin man with a well-groomed mustache, dressed in a formal bearing. I wish I could take you, you, you. I could. I wish I could take you, father. But you know, that the civil governments is very strict here. He said, as we alighted. Don't worry, Captain. I know. Papa said, offering a tip to the gentleman. There's no need for that. The conductor said, smiling as he doffed his hat. Magnyang Potsila, he told Papa. Yes, we'll take care. Marming Salamat, my father replied, shaking his hand. He nodded to us again, just as the porter dropped off our things. With this, the conductor turned to the coach attendant and symbol, raised his baton, and signed for takeoff. He watched as the vehicle rose up and away, leaving us alone by the roadside. Papa's rank in the Cafodria meant that he had little trouble with the Guardia Civil on duty at the government checkpoint. The soldiers snapped to attention, saluting him as he, we passed. Packs in hand, we made our way to Tagite. It was a long trek uphill with tall forest growth. Houses were a few and far between. Every so often, we would come across abandoned Bethany mines. And indeed, in these parts, Gravidium ore was so plentiful that we could sometimes pick up shards off the ground. But it was only when we reached Taikate Ridge that I understood why. 
I had heard stories about it before, but seeing it for myself for the first time left me dumbfounded. There, in the distance, was a majestic mount tall. It floated searingly in the distance like a mirage and imposing island in the sky. Rivers flowed from its peak down, meaning streams to waterfalls that fed the wide lake below. All manner of birds flitted about the thick forest along its slopes. There were plenty of skywells there too, flying about the island, singing in a ceaseless cacophony. And with each flutter and flurry, the entire underside of the immense mountain glowed a fount blue. So the stories were true. Tal was the world's largest single known deposit of gravidium ore. Since its discovery in ancient times, gravidium has found a wide range of uses apart from levitation, particularly in the battlefield. Without a doubt, gravidium was proven to be an extensive but certainly trouble long-term alternative of gunpowder and other projectile proposition systems. One need look no further than the fabled armaments of Pandripira for provoked to be cleaner and easier to load than the European counterparts. So effective was the design that it was still in use today as the weapon of choice in Spanish naval decks. Bawoom from the north came, a Bhutan herd, a handful of white-bellied females and their calves, closely guarded by two or three black-stripped. Young males flying in a tight formation that wended its way across the sky towards Tal. Ahead of the group was a large gray and white bull, its ivory sound horn shining brightly as it caught the sun's rays. It was a large one, certainly no less than a quarter of Ligua in length. The bull arced its back slowly, majestically, effortlessly, gliding through the air despite its massive size. Such a full herd was a rare sight on the plains away from their breeding grounds on the slopes Mount Tall. They were going to make a pass over to the ridge, and we would have to hitch a ride with them if we wanted to make the mountain at all. I fastened our harnesses to one of my arrows and aimed squarely at the belly of one of the trailing calves. I pursued my lips and hummed. It flew true, lodging firmly into the whale's thick hide, just at the base of its right fin. This did little harm to the creature, which seemed only mildly surprised at the tiny creatures trailing down its side. For a moment, it seemed to want to brush off as a carbo might struck off errant flies, but it just turned its eyes to us, shrugged, and went on its way. We clambered up the rope and into the whale's fin. From there, it was a steep climb to the broad back. I reached down and patted the gentle creature, thinking it for allowing us to join its flight. Its skin felt warm and moist in a midday sun, I could feel its heartbeat under my hand. The ground moved fast and far beneath us. In a distance floated great tall, lush with life and force, and rivers that streamed down its sides in great waterfalls. Our side slowed as it approached its home, banking gently as it circled the mountain. Papa turned to me. A wistful look came over him. 
he pursued his lips and whistled an unfamiliar tune. That was a song my mother used to sing to me. It was the song I kept in my head during my own young. It's beautiful. He smiled sadly. It's time for your binang. Bouncing himself upright, he drew a long knife from his pack and placed it in my hands. He indicated the point on the sky whale's hide. This is the base of its main nerve system. Any blow to the spot will render it mostly paralyzed, stopping its higher functions. The rest is easy. Basic instincts will kick in, gliding it into the land. You see, anyone can learn an instrument and pilot a ship, he said, but a navigator skill commands only the most sensitive and precise of musical instruments, so it depends no less than the finest, Bathalini. Purified and concentrated deep into the body of the body of the Butanding, this is Clefardia's greatest secret, one I am sworn to keep at all costs, should you fail. Papa moved up behind me. I saw the shadow of his blade raised high above my head. I'm sorry, my love. It's a price I hope I do not have to pay. My, ha my heart raced in my chest. Papa learned in a whispered in my ear. Remember all that I taught you, he said. Trust the music, find your own song, and keep it in your head. Listen to it. Let it guide you. I closed my eyes and tried to remember the sounds of home. Of the life cherished within the wall. I thought of a little girl high up on a balcony that fateful day so very long ago. The chanting of the streets, the music in the skies, the plaintive cries of a lost sky whale, the laughter of a child dreaming of flight. Papa was right. There is no turning back. I tensed myself in preparation of the inevitable. The blade came down singing as it fell.